Good morning and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Monday, February 19th. On today's show, we'll discuss the global supply chain challenges amid China's economic tremors, as well as Connor Murphy outlining his vision for Northern Ireland's economy. Plus, find out how the UK economy slipped into recession in 2023, according to a US high school economics class. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with a recent report by Unrecommend.com that highlights profound changes in global supply chain dynamics, largely influenced by economic developments in China and uncertainties in the broader international economy. This is redefining trade and commerce patterns, affecting both established and emerging markets worldwide. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you shed some light on the shifting supply chain landscape in 2024? Certainly, David. 2023 saw significant transformations in global supply chains, marked by rising costs and technological innovation. Over 70% of companies have shifted their manufacturing bases to Asia, primarily to manage escalating expenses and meet the growing demand for product customization. This highlights the increasing reliance on digital platforms and advanced technologies in addressing supply chain challenges. And how does China's economy factor into this? China's economic problems set against its $17 trillion economy play a pivotal role. As a global manufacturing powerhouse, its internal policies, including stringent lockdown measures and regulatory changes, significantly impact international supply chains. What has been the global ripple effect of China's economic downturn? Economies worldwide are dealing with the effects of China's economic downturn, each adapting in its own way. For instance, Europe faces rising prices, while North America displays more promising economic indicators. This dichotomy illustrates the varied global reactions to China's economic slowdown. Despite these challenges, businesses are expressing optimism for 2024. Can you elaborate on this? Indeed, businesses are optimistic. The crisis has highlighted the complex nature of global interconnectivity. Despite China's historically robust economic growth now experiencing its slowest pace in years, the International Monetary Fund projects modest GDP growth for China, a trend that may not significantly impact global demand. How is the global economic community responding to these new economic realities? Governments and businesses are focusing on diversifying supply chains and forming regional partnerships to lessen reliance on any single nation. Financial markets are also evolving, inclined towards sectors like technology, renewable energy, and healthcare, seen as more stable investment choices. What does the future look like in light of these changes? The future is cautiously optimistic, with gradual economic stabilization anticipated. Initiatives emphasizing digitalization and eco-friendly practices offer new development pathways, potentially mitigating some impacts of China's economic slowdown. Embracing adaptability and fostering innovation is vital, as is ensuring these changes are inclusive and sustainable. As the global economy adapts to these new realities, China's role remains essential, especially as the world anticipates shifts in trade blocks and supply chain configurations. That was Simply Economics reporter Celeste. Thanks for your insights. Now, shifting our focus to Northern Ireland, Stormont's new economy minister, Connor Murphy, 
is set to outline his vision for the region's economy. As he prepares his speech, Mr. Murphy will be cognizant of two narratives about the performance of the Northern Irish economy, one of surprising short-term resilience and another of chronic underperformance. Here to delve into this is our correspondent, Abby. Can you tell us more about the state of Northern Ireland's economy? Indeed, David. Over the past decade, Northern Ireland's economy has weathered three major external shocks, Brexit, the pandemic, and energy price inflation. These have impacted business investment, political stability, and consumer spending. Given the relative fragility of the Northern Ireland economy, it would not have been surprising if these shocks had led to a deep recession with mass job losses and business failures. However, that has not been the case. The jobs market recovered strongly after the pandemic, and unemployment has been below 3% for much of the last two years. That's quite remarkable. What factors have contributed to this resilience? A large part of this resilience can be attributed to the financial support provided by the UK government during the pandemic and the energy crisis, such as the furlough and the energy price guarantee. But there have also been pockets of strength in the private sector, particularly in the services sector. Services output is at an all-time high, led by the business services and finance subsector, which was growing at an annualized rate of almost 9% in the middle of last year. But there's also a story of chronic underperformance, isn't there? Yes, that's correct. On a longer view, Northern Ireland has a significant economic problem, persistently weak productivity. Productivity is a measurement of the amount of economic output generated by each worker. In the long term, economic growth, higher wages, and rising living standards are dependent on rising productivity. The UK's productivity performance has been poor since the financial crisis in the late 2000s, and Northern Ireland has consistently had the poorest performance of any UK region. What are the factors contributing to this weak productivity? The structure of Northern Ireland's economy, low levels of investment, and geographical peripherality have all been suggested as important factors. Academic research led by David Jordan and John Turner at Queen's University suggests two major areas of necessary improvement are education and skills, with poor management skills a particular concern. Separate work by the Dublin-based Economic and Social Research Institute suggests almost all of the productivity gap between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland can be explained by lower levels of investment and skilled workers in Northern Ireland. So what should we expect from Mr. Murphy's speech? The key thing to look out for in Mr. Murphy's speech is how he hopes to tackle the productivity problem. It's a daunting challenge, as the Queen's University research found little proof that decades of government policies had done much to improve things. The research concluded that while improving productivity is often included as an aspiration within economic strategy documents, it is rarely used as a means to evaluate the success of policies or measure outcomes. Thanks for that insight, Abby. As we continue to explore economic challenges, let's shift our focus to the UK, where in 2023, the economy slipped into a recession. This news comes as a part of the Financial Times Free Schools Access Program, aimed at educating U.S. high school students about economic indicators. Here to discuss this further is James, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you start by explaining the technical definition of a recession? Certainly, David. 
A recession is technically defined as a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy, lasting more than a few months. It's typically visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. And how does the UK's GDP and GDP per capita compare? GDP, or gross domestic product, is the total value of all goods and services produced by a country in a given period. GDP per capita, on the other hand, is a measure of the average economic output per person, which is calculated by dividing the GDP by the total population. The exact figures for the UK's GDP and GDP per capita during the recession of 2023 would require specific data, which isn't provided in the article. Which measure, GDP or GDP per capita, would you say is a more accurate measure of current living standards and why? While both measures provide valuable insights, GDP per capita is often considered a more accurate measure of living standards. This is because it takes into account the population size, providing a per-person average. It gives a clearer picture of the economic well-being of the average individual in a country, as opposed to GDP, which just gives the total output of the economy. Thanks for that clear explanation, James. Now shifting gears to the public sentiment about the economy, despite economic growth and low unemployment, public discontent about the economy has been a persistent issue for President Joe Biden. To discuss this further, we have Michael from Simply Economics. Can you shed some light on this contrast between hard numbers and public sentiment? Certainly, David. It's a complex issue. On one hand, we have positive economic indicators. For instance, unemployment has not risen above 4% for two years, and inflation has cooled from around 9% to just over 3%. However, despite these favorable numbers, President Biden's public approval ratings have been poor. It seems that the positive economic news isn't translating into public sentiment. What role does immigration play in this economic scenario? Immigration has a significant impact on the economy. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell recently pointed out that the U.S. economy has benefited from immigration. In fact, the return of immigration to pre-pandemic levels has been a major factor in balancing the labor market. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office even projected a $7 trillion added benefit to the U.S. economy over the coming decade due to the recent boost in immigration. But there seems to be a disconnect between this economic benefit and the political narrative around immigration. Yes, that's correct. The political narrative around immigration often contrasts with its economic impact. For instance, former President Donald Trump and his supporters often portrayed immigration as a curse rather than a blessing, despite the economic data suggesting otherwise. This disconnect between economic reality and political rhetoric can contribute to public discontent. So it's not just about the economy, but also about how the economy is perceived and presented. Exactly. The perception of the economy can be influenced by a variety of factors, including political narratives and personal experiences. It's a reminder that while numbers are important, they don't tell the whole story. Thanks for that valuable insight, Michael. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.